Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. If you want to open or pull up a Bible passage, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 for a little bit tonight. So Ephesians is probably three quarters of the way back if you're new. So, okay, question for you. When I say the word fluency, what comes to mind? Images, thoughts, word associations, language. What else? Learning. Learning. Yeah. Expertise, yeah, yeah. And you put those together, that's kind of what fluency is. There's not really, like last week we said, what do you think of when you hear the word gospel? And there's like 50 different answers. Fluency, there's basically one. Like it's language. It's, it's learning a new language to the point of proficiency or it coming easy. I grew up in, in Weatherford where Chris is about to enter his eighth year of teaching, as did he. We were neighbors. And I took seven years of Spanish between four in high school and three in college. And so when Jess and I went to honeymoon on, in, in Mexico... I was fairly proficient. I wouldn't say I was fluent, but I was fairly proficient. I could talk with the staff and not have to like do a lot of like, oh, conjugation and word ordering and, and this kind of stuff. And then sadly, this is one of my regrets in life. For the, for the next like 10 years after that, I, I hardly ever used that language skill. And so we happened to go back to Mexico for our 10-year anniversary because nostalgia. And I had lost so much of it. If I were to go back today... Now, 15 years after that, it would be even a choppier version. And, and this is kind of where we bring this image in. Last, last week we said, hey, we're going to spend this month considering what is the gospel. Um, I think many Christians are kind of in that same place with the gospel as I am, was, am still in Spanish. Like we, we kind of know it. Maybe we learned it. We learned some basics and kind of put it together, but then we don't use it necessarily. And so it kind of tucks away and gets dusty. And again, like we'll say the word gospel, we'll say a few things that still kind of stick in our memories, but, but in a big way, we can kind of recall it if needed, but it's, but it's not there anymore. It's not nearly as vibrant. And so last week, we started this month of considering the gospel just by reminding ourselves that Paul says the gospel is of first importance. The gospel, if you missed last week, is not just a past thing that greatly benefits my future. Rather, the gospel is something that impacts every aspect of our lives today, the choices we make, the lens through which we see the world, the relationships we have, and on and on and on. In other words, if God's design for us is to live by faith, then part of living by faith is knowing how to apply the gospel we have faith in to different situations in our everyday lives. Does that make sense? Because otherwise it's like, oh yeah, no, no, I knew Spanish one time. Well, does it mean anything to you now? And not, mm, sadly, not really. And for a lot of followers of Jesus, it's like, yeah, I heard the gospel. Does it mean anything to you now? Not really. Man, y'all are getting after those M&Ms. I can hear them all, every bit of them. Really jealous. Mouth watering a lot right now. One of our salt and light values is that everyone's discipled and everyone is discipling. And so part of this is going, how do we do this one with another? But, but for that to be true, we have to know what the gospel means ourselves and some rehearsal of, of that truth in our own lives. Part of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did, which is something we talk about a lot, is speaking the gospel into our lives and into our culture around us. 
And so with that said, I think the, the kind of big claim for tonight, last week's big claim was that a lot of Christians believe only two-thirds of the gospel. The big claim for us tonight is that every question, follow me on this, every question, every behavior, every sin, every complaint, whatever it is, everything we do displays the lens through which you see the world. Is that fair? Every question you ask, every behavior, every sin, every complaint displays a lens through which you see the world. And this is true for followers of Jesus and those of us who would claim to follow Jesus, and this is true for folks who wouldn't claim to follow Jesus or folks who claim some other religion or some other philosophy. All of life is either seen through the lens of God and His work and His grace and His kindness, or it's seen through some other lens. All of life is lived on the basis of God's work and His grace and His goodness and His kindness, or it's lived through some other lens. And so as followers of Jesus, if we're asking how the gospel applies to everyday life, then, then God invites us to become saturated in thinking of the gospel and speaking the gospel such that it becomes second nature. And so my friend Jeff Anders and I got to write a book called Gospel Fluency. He wrote the book, and this is the, the idea is like, over time, would God be so gracious to us that he would let the gospel become second nature to us? But the problem is, is that is not what most Christians think of when we think of like Christian maturity or growing up in Christ. If we're honest, a lot of us think Christian maturity or growing up in Christ is, well, doing more things or giving X amount of time more this year to Bible or prayer than I did last year. That makes me a little bit more mature in this kind of stuff. But what we're going to see in Ephesians 4 is that that's not actually how Paul says we grow up in Christ. If the gospel is just A and Z, beginning of life and end of our life, then we can live as if the rest of the alphabet, the rest of our lives is completely up to us. That's not how the Bible talks about Christian growth. So in Ephesians 4, I'm going to summarize a little bit of it. So again, I'm recognizing that we're in, the, we're in back to school eve for several households at least. But this is what Paul says. This is kind of the goal of the Christian life. He says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you Urge you fellow followers of Jesus to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's the goal of the Christian life. It's a life full of devotion and worship and obedience and letting that worship kind of overflow into everything we do. And then Paul talks for the next few verses that I'm going to skip over. He talks about unity. There's one God, one faith, one spirit. There's this beautiful picture of unity and then he talks in verse 7 and, and verse 11 about two gifts that God gives the church to pursue this maturity and pursue this unity. The grace of Christ, which is utterly foundational to everything, and then differently gifted people with different points of view to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But all of that, the walking wisely, the giving of grace, the, 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 the different gifts that God gives is unto this one goal in verse 13 that's up there until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Our goal is mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That makes sense? So walking worthy, letting faith and worship and obedience overflow out of us is all for the goal of unity of the faith and the mature manhood, womanhood, the mature stature of the fullness of God. Then, that's all set up for this, verse 14, Paul says, why do we want that? 
It's so that we're not children anymore, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by three things, every wind of doctrine, human cunning, and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Okay, here's where I want us to camp out for a minute tonight. Paul talks in these three phrases about typical ways that followers of Jesus throughout history have tried to grow in Christ without actually relying on Christ. So again, if the gospel is just something that happened then that greatly benefits my future, then all of my maturity, all of my growth is is only based on, well, I guess I'll do this more or stop doing this or give five more minutes to this than I did last. And, And and Paul says, no, 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 you're actually, if that's you, you're actually like a, like a child. And he's not downplaying that. Like, kids are great. Got a church full of them. But the goal of a child is to grow out of childish ways unto adulthood. Here's what he says. Here's three ways that we try to grow in Christ without relying on Christ. First, every wind of doctrine. Now, I want to be very clear. Is it good to know right theology? Is it good to read our Bibles? Is it good to know more about God? please don't hear me swinging the pendulum away from this. The answer is yes. It is very good to know doctrine. It is very good to know the Bible. It's very good to know theology. It's very good to know more about God. But what's the danger if our entire Christian maturity is based on knowledge and how much I know? What's the danger in that? Anything come to mind? Knowledge puffs up, the Bible tells us. Knowledge makes us prideful doesn't move us toward others. If anything, that same pride moves us away from others, right? It's not relational. Anything else come to mind as being a danger? Lack of the Holy Say it again. Lack of yeah, lack of the Holy Spirit, because it's up to me. If, if I can know more, I can attain more knowledge. I, I, I get smarter. I know more. It's also, there's this difference. Like, it is good to know about God, but any ology A study of something doesn't mean you have to have any personal connection with the thing you're studying. And so a lot of faith can be based on knowing more about God, but not necessarily knowing God. Anything else come to mind? Yeah. Maybe I'm taking it from the scripture, but Mm -hmm. it feels like the more you know, sometimes you end up just changing positions because they're just too much information. Yeah. Like the more knowledge you get, you're always like... That's right. You don't have a stance. You're always moving from... Mm -hmm. Yes. And today, more than when Paul wrote, you can find anything you want to interpret any verse or any aspect of Scripture exactly like you want it to be interpreted. So, yeah, the winds and, and being blown back and forth. I just add, too, like, given that this is coming after all this tribute about unity, mm-hmm. doctrine often creates a lot of separation. That's right. Because people take stands. Yes. And it creates Yeah, yeah. And so what can happen is, is, on one hand, doctrine can lead to biblical moralism. In, in fact, I want to submit there's a difference between being biblically fluent and being gospel fluent. Like, you can know a lot about the words on the page and the things that God says, and it can lead you to self-reliance more than it can lead you to rely on God. We become proud. We, we even see in the Bible, Philippians 2 is a great example of this. Like, you can read the verses that says, basically utter summary of Philippians 2. Jesus was humble. You should be humble too. Again, total, total, total generality there. But that's essentially what it said. Look how humble Jesus was. He humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross, and God exalted him. Be like Jesus. What's the problem with that? If we're just purely basing our faith on, well, I've read this. I know it now. Anyone tried really hard to be humble by your own power? 
Turns out it's real, real hard, right? And so we end up like putting on this facade. I'll say I, because I won't throw you into this bucket with me. I'm sure you've never done this. Like we've, I can put on this facade of humility, knowing full well that in my heart, it does not feel that. Or maybe in the 0.000.1% chance that you actually attain humility on yourself, what do you feel? Feel pretty good about yourself. Oh, and then it goes back to the start and you completely <laughs> blew it in the first place. This makes sense? Biblical moralism is a massive problem in our culture, especially our North Texas Christianity. If we read the Bible and see God say, know more about this, do more, then we'll try to know more and do more. That's one way we try to grow in Christ. Is that fair for anyone? And we feel good about how much we know? A second way that Paul says we try to grow in Christ without relying on Christ is human cunning. Now, cunning doesn't have a great like, connotation today, right? In, this, in, in the time that Paul was writing, cunning just meant smart, like you could figure things out, which is, again, it's a ver- there's a version of that that that's kind of what cunning means today. It's just got a dark side to it today. So what's the problem with, with our, trying to grow in Christ by our ability to figure things out? make rules, make parameters. Anyone ever tried to do this? You set yourself up for like, well, I'll do this and I'll only do this before 6 a.m. and then after 6 I'll only do this after I do 30 minutes of the other thing. Any, anyone? That's, that's human cunning. I'll figure it out. What's the problem with that? I think it builds a lot of us dependence upon yourself. Yeah. Your intelligence, your knowledge, your mm-hmm. ability to... Yeah. Yeah, if the first one's a lot about my knowledge then if we rely on human cunning, it's a lot about my abilities. Also, the problem with human cunning is that we're pretty cunning. And so, like, here's the rule. Guess what I'm real good at? Again, none of you, just me. Guess what I'm real good at when I make a rule for myself? Bending, breaking, going around. Anyone else? I remember in in my university years when I was uh, going on dates and we'd like watch movies back at my apartment. We had this rule like it will be on the couch and but we can't recline more than 45 degrees because 44 degrees, everything is safe. 46, all is lost apparently. (laughs) Nothing good happens. And guess what? I'm pretty cunning. And we found ways around rules and this kind of stuff because this is what we do, do we not? If you've never said, I'm going to do this, and then found a way to kind of sneak and justify your way around it. I want to talk to you because I think you're a liar, or I want to learn from you. (laughs) One of the two. The heart is deceitful above all things, the scriptures tell us. More doctrine will let us down because it relies on our knowledge. Our futile attempts and rules and cunning will let us down because it relies on our abilities. And so Paul points out a third way that Christians can try to grow in Jesus, and he says it's craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, if cunning is like a neutral word, craftiness and deceitful schemes, there's nothing, nothing neutral about that today or when Paul was writing. And maybe you see this less, and maybe you feel this less, but on some level, don't we all look for the shortcut somewhere? Like, here's the quick, the three easy steps. If you just do X, Y, and Z, then you'll like fast track your growth to holiness. The five step program. There's a lot of teaching and, and Sunday preaching out there that's actually like, hey, there's, there's these four things, and if you do these four things, it's kind of, this isn't how we say it, but guaranteed to make you closer to God and make Him love you a little bit more. And again, you're like, no, 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 that, that doesn't exist here. It's the same thing. It's why the lottery is so popular. 
Like to, to, to bring it back to like language learning, like there's programs, Rosetta Stone and Duolingo, there's kind of some of these things that, that if you give yourself a little bit over time, they're helpful. But there's other products out there and you've seen them, they're like, ah, oh, in three easy weeks, ready to go to France. And I don't know if you tried those, I have some friends who have and they're like, no, no. Again, I learned like the five necessary words, but it did not live up to its promise. This is this fair though? Like we love, as a culture, we love easy skin. We love to cut corners, to move toward things quickly. I wonder if some of the craftiness and deceitful schemes that lets us feel like, oh, I'm doing okay with God right now, might actually be because we like had like a moment. It's like a, like a summer camp sort of thing. If you ever went to summer camp and had this spiritual high and it feels like, oh, this solved everything and it's great until two days later when you go back to real life and turns out sin and temptation and this kind of stuff still exists. Do you, do you get these three pictures? Yes. It's almost as if God is sovereign and knew the future and looked forward both in the time of Paul and today and knew that still 2,000 years later, we'd still look for ways to grow in Christ without relying on Christ like Paul's audiences were doing. And if that's us, and in some way I want to submit this is probably all of us at times, then Paul, with great compassion, says, you're like a child being tossed to and fro. It's, you're not mature. You're a little bit unaware. You, you might try, but you can't. What, what do children do over time? Ideally, grow up, at least in, in stature, right? There's this whole theory out there on how adolescence is moving into the 20-year-olds 20, 20 and, and beyond and this kind of stuff. So, so maybe we're not growing up as much as we used to, but in theory, what we're doing is growing up and growing out of our childish ways. All of you kiddos who are gonna be starting school or have started school, like you'll learn more and you'll know more and you'll be able to do more and you'll grow this next year more than you do today, more than you did a year ago. But these things can feel like they're working. It's like giving kids M&Ms on a night that they probably need to go to bed early or something real wise like that. You feel like, oh, I'm full but like a sugar rush, they lack the nourishment that it needs. Why don't they work? At their core, they're all about us. If you rely on your brain, if you rely on your ability, if you rely on your rules, if you rely on your relationships or, or cutting corners, then you become your functional savior and your faith is utterly reliant on you. And you know what the core message of the scriptures are? Your faith can't be relying on you because you don't have what it takes to hold you steady and you don't have what it takes to grow you past the temptation. You don't have what it takes to become mature. And so if your faith and your growth and our, our maturity is based on my ability to do more, know more, learn more, teach more, set up more rules, set up more boundaries, cut this many corners, fast track this, then we're putting our faith in a functional redeemer that's going to let us down. If your faith is in yourself, you're going to be let down because these methods of growing in Christ are all about you. That's the problem. So what's the solution? The solution is to realize what Paul says next, and that is that growing in Christ is truly centered on and reliant on Christ. 
It's God who gives the growth. He who started a good work in you, he will carry it through to completion. This is a theme throughout the scriptures. Here's how Paul says it. Rather than those other things, it's by speaking the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint. Listen to the, like, this is what God can do. This is what Jesus can do. God, through Christ, holds the church together. He holds you together. He helps every part work properly so that the body grows itself up in love. What's the truth that Paul invites us to speak to each other in love here? It's the gospel. It's not, well, you should know more. Let me throw a Bible verse at you. Because again, without downplaying that, it is good and right to know the Bible. It is good and right to devote yourself to the Bible. Your knowledge of the Bible itself can't fix you. The truth in love is not, oh, here's five things that you should do. Craftiness, deceitful schemes, your own cunning. Here's some rules to follow. Accountability is fantastic, but it only goes as far as you're willing to give or someone's willing to hold you. So all of these things, man-centered, human-centered things are going to let you down. But the truth we speak to each other is applying the life and death and resurrection and reign of Jesus in specific ways to specific areas of your life. If Jesus is truly the Redeemer, then the truth we speak into our own minds and hearts and the truth we speak to each other is the gospel of Jesus. It's this is what Jesus did. This is what God did through Jesus. And here's why it matters to you in this moment. Paul's picture of following Jesus together is that every member of the body is growing in Christ by the fact that we know a little bit more how to speak the truth in love to ourselves and to each other in the areas of, of disbelief. And guess what? The only way to grow in that, the only way to do that is to practice. And, and so let me make it, it very applicable. So whether kiddos, whether you started school, whether you're headed towards school, this kind of stuff, or grown-ups, what are some feelings or some thoughts that have happened in homes this week as kiddos start to head toward school? Bickering. Say it again. Bickering. Okay, sure. That's weird. Just, that must be just your home. Weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Bickering. Sure. What else has been happening as kids think about school or have started into school? Anybody anxious or nervous, kiddos? Yeah. A few hands go up. Okay. Because there's new things and you don't know what's coming next, right? Is anybody, is anybody nervous about friends? Am I going to have friends? Am I going to make friends? This kind of stuff. Thanks for being honest. Any other feelings? Any other thoughts? Yeah. Got a lot to prepare for. Yeah, the workload that's coming ahead and teaching and teachers and classes and this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of feelings, right? It is not uncommon for folks who follow Jesus and who don't follow Jesus to give some band-aid solution to the feelings. Don't be nervous. You've got this. Is that common? Don't be anxious. Surely you're likable. You'll find, you'll find one good friend at least kind of stuff. It's great unless it doesn't happen. Or what's that relying on to put on our kids to then become the person that is likable? This, this is a real-time example. As our, man, every argument you have with someone, 
every feeling you get when you cut off, get cut off in traffic, every thought that you don't want anyone else outside of you to know that you're thinking. Like all of these are moments to go, what is the truth of Christ that applies to this? Because otherwise we're putting a Band-Aid on something that is far, far deeper. So I want to be tangible just for a few minutes, then we'll wrap up. Here's a way to do this, okay? And as a disclaimer, just like learning a language, fluency, learning to speak the gospel to ourselves takes time. And fluency, I think, is probably a misnomer. We never, in the same way, like, are you ever fully fluent in even the English language if you're, it's your first language? Like, there's so many more words than you could ever possibly know. Similarly, there's, there's unending ways that the gospel applies to our life. Some may be gifted in, in, in languages. Some may have practiced for years. Others, this is a very first step. This is not a competition, not a goal. But here's one step in growing in speaking the gospel to yourself, in and this is just to practice. So there's a couple of questions that you can ask yourselves. And so again, put this through the lens of school tomorrow. First, what's the fruit that I'm experiencing right now? Okay, what, what, what is it that I'm doing? What do I do? So again, I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I feel scared. I feel scared of friends. I feel like I have to prepare this kind of stuff. We can either put a Band-Aid on that and say like, oh, just stop it, essentially, which is really bad counsel, but very common. Or we can go, hey, maybe there's something underneath that's a question behind the question that's leading you to feel nervous or anxious. Is that fair? And so kids, grown-ups, work with me for a sec. What is something that, might, that you might believe about who you are that's causing you to feel nervous or anxious about friends or that you have to be prepared or that kind of thing? Can I make some suggestions? Does anybody feel like you have to be perfect on day one? Maybe grown-ups not even going back to school, but thinking of like, oh, why is it that I over-prepare? Why is it that I feel, I feel like I have to be perfect, right? If, any, if anybody's anxious about meeting friends, has anybody thought like, oh, am I good enough? Am I likable enough? What if I'm not something enough for people to like me? Again, using kids as an example here, but this is just as much a grown-up thing. So, so this is taking the, the bad fruit and going, what if there's something beneath it? It's a little exercise called fruit to root. We're tracing the bad fruit down to the bad root. What am I doing? I'm thinking this, I'm experiencing this, but what if there's something underneath it that I believe about who I am that's causing me to be anxious, causing me to think I need to prepare? And guess what? Whatever we believe about ourselves stems from our belief in what? God, because again, every question, every need shows us the lens through which we view the world. So what might we be not believing about God if I'm feeling like I have to be perfect all the time, if I feel like, oh, I might not be good enough, smart enough, likable enough, or any other things? What's something we might be be believing wrongly about God or disbelieving about God? He's not in control. Yeah, if I have to be everything, if I have to have it all together, I'm functionally saying, well, God's not in control enough, and so it's up to me. Yeah, God didn't make me good enough. Yeah, if, if I don't have a friend on the, at the end of the first day of school, then it's because God didn't make me who I should be. Or maybe God doesn't love me enough to give me friends. Did anybody had any of these thoughts ever in your life before? But these aren't things we're taught to talk about, right? Like this is like, oh, I'll tell you, like I'm a little bit nervous or anxious. 
but, but the getting down beneath the surface, like this is vulnerable and scary. Because at the end of the day, the fourth question, if you go, what am I doing? Who am I believing about? Or what am I believing about who I am? What does that say about my belief in what God's done? What are you functionally saying about God? You're not big enough to control this. You're not good enough to make me who I should be. You're not perfect enough. Is that fair? Like, so all of a sudden, like, I'm kind of anxious goes back to like, oh, I don't think God is big enough. But if we don't have those kind of, and we're, again, this is a, a five-minute like exercise version of the conversation, but if we don't have those conversations in our mind, then we're never going to be done with our anxiety. And we're never going to be done feeling that we're perfect because instead we'll just band-aid it or ignore it or walk away from it or go like Google all the verses on anxiety, right? Anyone ever done that? Again, those can be helpful but it's reliant on you and how much you can know. And turns out, I don't know if you're like me, just because I can read and believe something up here doesn't necessarily mean I believe it in my heart. Or I'll go and I'll put, you know, I'll make three new friends today. There's the, the, the human cunning. I'll do this. That works great unless somebody doesn't want to be my friend. Right? We can, we can band-aid the situation or walk away from the situation or manage it on my own. Or we can be honest and go deep within ourselves and go, where does this come from? This makes sense? I want to be very clear because I just mentioned like, hey, craftiness and deceitful schemes, like here's a five-step process, and then I showed you four things you can do. Here's the thing though, this, this whole speaking the gospel to ourselves, asking the question behind the question, this is not a, hey, try it once and guaranteed you'll be fixed or your money back. In fact, this is the opposite of that. Learning to ask a few questions is a lifetime long exercise in going, do I actually believe that the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and reign applies to my first day of school nervousness, or when I let my boss down at work, or that reaction that I have that I was like, oh, that's a $10 reaction to a $1 problem, but I don't know where it came from. Does this make sense? It's a lifetime of learning to become fluent in a new language. But just till we get to that point of saying like, okay, I guess I don't believe God is good. Like, that's a bad place to end the exercise, right? We don't want to stay there. That's a bad doctor saying, hey, I've, I, I diagnosed you, best of luck kind of thing. If we ask the four questions in reverse order, seeking what God says about himself, then we've rebuilt with a better belief. So in that situation, anxiety, feeling like you have to have it all together, what are some things that God says are true about who God is that apply to those things? God is trustworthy. It's one of the promises he gives over and proves over and over and over again in the Bible. You can trust God. Kiddos, if you're nervous, you can trust God. What else does God say about himself? He's good. He's good. He's a good father. He loves you more than you'll ever be loved, more than any other parent could ever love you. Anything else come to mind that God says about himself? He gives good gifts to his father, to, to his children. God doesn't have a father. He gives good gifts to his children. Yeah, which kind of gets into that second thing. What has God already done? If he's the giver of every good and perfect gift, then anything good that's happened in your life doesn't come from you and doesn't come from other people. It primarily comes from God. What else has God promised that he's already done as it applies to your 
anxiety, your need to control things, your fear of others. He's adopted us. He's brought us into a family. So even if we feel lonely at times, and guess what? We all feel lonely at times. We know that there's a family that we belong to, and we have a father who cares. What else has God done? He's already overcome the world. Yeah, he's overcome the world. Has he promised to be in control and to work all things for your good, even if, even if we don't see it at times? And so even if you don't have everything together, guess what? He does have everything together. Has God promised throughout the scriptures to make you perfectly as he designed you? You're beautifully and wonderfully made. You're in all of your uniqueness. Even if somebody happens to not like you for who you are, guess what? You are exactly who God made you to be. And if that's true, if things like that are true, again, we could do this forever, but if things like that are true, then what does that free us to believe about who we are? Who do you get to be if God is good and in control and kind and loving and made you perfectly and is in control of everything? Who do you get to be? An unburdened little person. person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to feel crushed by taking so much on. But again, that's only good news if it's not just like an empty platitude. It's only good news if you believe you don't have to take everything on because God took everything on your behalf primarily through the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. If someone happens not to like you, you've already been approved by the one being whose opinion of you matters more than any, any person or being on earth. You're free to be imperfect because Jesus' perfection covers your imperfections. Does this make sense? And if that's true, then what can you do? You can walk into school feeling a little bit like, hey, if I don't have something buttoned up and perfect and in control today, that's okay. You still may not like that, to be clear, but you have a better foundation to go. If I mess up, if somebody doesn't like me, I have something deeper to rely on than somebody else's opinion or than an opinion of myself. Does this make sense, church? This is, this is a couple of sample examples of how the good news of Jesus and the truths of who God says he is applies to things like feeling nervous for something or feeling like you have to have something in control. Questions on that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any action that I take, that I'm no longer, I'm still not implementing my own yeah. strength or strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm actually taking steps maybe to remedy the situation. Yeah. Uh, and know that this is entirely not depending on myself, but depending on God. Yeah, that's a great question. How do I know if I'm relying on myself or relying on God? I think I would say two things just that come to mind. One is if what God calls us to do, if what you're doing is like in that realm of obedience and this kind of stuff then a lot of it is going, hey, am I, am I trying to force this to happen by my will, by my power, or does this feel like it's maybe even a little bit outside of myself? This is not something that I would naturally do or conjure up. And so if it's something contrary 
to your nature, then it's certainly from the Lord. The second thing is to remember, like, we have the Spirit of Christ living and active in us. And so if our focus is on Him, He's going to produce in and through us some of the fruit that He promises. And so it's a question of, like, hey, over time, like, we might have moments where we feel like I was pretty humble in that moment, but it wasn't because I conjured it up. It's because my focus wasn't on me. I was looking at Jesus, and He worked through me to be a little bit more humble. And so a lot of it's it looks the same on the outside. A lot of it's just, what, are, what am I relying on in my heart? Am I relying on myself? Am I relying on someone else? What do you say? Oh, I was just going to say, maybe it's like an internal sense of striving. Yeah. 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 Is it striving or is it an overflow is kind of the image that comes to mind. Yeah. And, and, and at the same time, like the example I was going to use before I remembered it was like back to school week was like when I let, let a boss down by messing up a project and then like felt the need to defend myself. If I'd walked through that whole process, it was the same. Like I felt like I had to be perfect. Felt like I couldn't let him down, this kind of stuff. But, but like it doesn't free me to be like, well, I don't ever have to do anything good. Like, there's still that. It, it's more of like, why did I feel like I had to defend myself? That's more of it. Like, what's going on in me, right? And so there are still, like, the, 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 the invitations to godliness and this kind of stuff. But are we striving for, by our own power? I like what Michelle's saying. Or does it feel like it flows out of us? Again, call it what it is. It's, it's, it's an exercise that we've labeled fruit to root and then root back up to fruit. But we can literally, here's the point. Again, this is why it's not a sales pitch tonight. You can literally do this with every passage of scripture because there are stories and, uh, of, of good examples and bad examples in the Bible and there's commands that you'll never live up to in this kind of stuff. So, so when you read a passage, you can go down the tree and back up. You can do this with every sin, every question, every disbelief, every action, every thought. Everyday gospel means learning and following God's invitation to do this over and over because there's unending areas of question and sin and folly and this kind of stuff, and Jesus is the answer to each. And we believe that, but do we know how? Love that we gave you guys these little gifts. They're fantastic. So, so the invitation is to practice this week, okay? But I want to close by saying, is this easy? No, we just did a couple minutes of examples here. And for some of us, this is the first time we've thought on that. There may be areas of your life that you're like, oh, this just flows. And there may be other areas of your life that's like, this is impossible. I don't actually know how God's promise fits this. And that's part of why we do get to rely on God and each other. But also I want to submit like the good news is that the gospel even meets you there. This is ex like, that's exactly what we mean. If you're like, I don't know how God applies to this. That's exactly what we mean when we say that our relationship with Jesus is not based on your doctrine or knowledge or your ability even to figure it out or your cunning or others' schemes. That's what we declare even as we take communion of going like, even if I don't know God, I can rest on the fact that you know me. And even if I don't get how you meet me in this, could I have faith enough to go in my unawareness, I know and trust that you are more aware. And in my lack of knowledge, can I trust that you know all things? In my weakness, you're made strong, Paul says. When I'm unable, you are able. That's the declaration of Christianity. When I couldn't, you did. 
And then to seal those promises, Jesus let his body be broken and he let his blood be shed so that his grace and his truth and his power could abound in your life. And so it's with that confidence that the table is already open. His body has been broken. His blood has been shed for you. And you don't get to go to the table because you're good enough or know enough or can do enough, but rather because God and God alone through Christ is good enough and knows you perfectly and has already done all that you can't do. And so the invitation is to go. Go take communion and go with by yourself. You can go with person sitting next to you and go alone or with others. Take the bread. It's all gluten-free all the time. Dip it in the juice or the wine, whichever your conviction allows. And communion is one way that we rehearse the gospel. It's good news for everyday life. God speaks that good news, and it's the lens through which we view the world. Amen? The table's open. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.